Good morning, church. Our reading this morning comes from Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 through 17. And to the angel of the church in Pergamum, write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Yet you have fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so there they might eat bread sacrificed by idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give the a white stone with a new name written on the stone that one knows except the one who receives it. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for the many blessings of this day, dear Lord, and thank you for your work. Dear Lord, I pray for Brother Todd as he brings the message this morning that you just give him the wisdom and the words that he needs to say for everyone to hear. And we give thee all the thanks and all the praise. We ask these things in your name. Amen. Good morning. It is good to see each of you here today. And maybe we don't express enough, but I know each of our pastors, our, pa our staff, when you come into this building, it really means a lot to us. Not just the sense that I have a big crowd to preach to, which is nice, by the way, but to come here to worship our God who loves us, because it's really about him. It's not about me this morning. And if Tony prays a prayer like that again to get me all emotional, love you, Tony. Uh, that was amazing. We do really, really appreciate that you're here. Today's a very special day for me, too. Uh, I've been telling you my parents moved from California to Arkansas. They're here this morning, so we're glad to have them here with us. And uh, I've already seen many of you come by, introduce yourself. Uh, I told them there'll be a test afterwards that they'll have to remember all your names. I wouldn't do that to them, Loretta. She had that shocked look on her face. And uh, she is the protector of my parents, I can see. And, uh, but it's good to have them uh, here this morning. So the pressure's on. I'm their little boy. Uh, I, I am the favorite of the family. <laughs> and uh, I just want to remind them of that. And uh, it's good to have them here. 
We are in a sermon series in the book of Revelation, studying the seven churches of Asia. I've titled the series, Overcomers. And on the drive here this morning, I was thinking about uh, the word overcomer, because really it kind of gives you the idea to be a conqueror, to be victorious over something. And for some reason, it reminded me how much of a competitor my wife is. If you ever play a game with my wife, in the words of Herm Edwards, she plays to win the game. She is a competitor. And so, Adam, how many times have we played phase 10 only to say we're never playing this game ever again? Because she plays to be victorious and to conquer. Now, somebody, some, some people probably make, uh, you know, use the analogy that life is a game. Well, life is not a game, but I do believe that there's aspects in life that Jesus wants us to be victorious in or over. There's things that we want to conquer. And the only way that we can be victorious or conquer is faith in Christ. Therein lies victory. Well, these seven churches of Asia all had something commendable. Many of them had something that they needed to correct to overcome or be victorious. And that is the same in our church that we'll be looking at today, the church at Pergamos. I want you to think about two words with me for just a moment. Because these two words sometimes can carry a negative connotation and sometimes a positive connotation. For example, the word compromise. Compromise. The word compromise in and of itself, there's nothing wrong. I know husbands and wives who compromise all the time. That's why the men live as long as they do. But sometimes compromise can be used in a, in, in a negative sense. For example, we're going to look this morning that churches can compromise with the worldly standards or culture that surrounds them. That's not good. And the other word is culture. Culture. Uh, culture in and of itself is not wrong. We have a church culture. And I want to echo the sentiments of Tony. I love my church. I love our church. I, I love the people that God has assembled in this place. We have a, a certain culture here. Are we perfect? No, no. But we strive to serve the perfect one, Jesus, and love him with our entire being. And so we live in a culture. You know, we live in the South, right? So, so mom, dad, you move to the south. So vocabulary lesson, it's not you all or you guys, it's y'all. Y'all, that's, that's vocabulary lesson one. Uh, let's see, what, what other things? Southern hospitality, right? Nothing like it. First time being here, go to Kroger, don't know this lady. She starts telling me her whole life story, invites me over for Christmas dinner. I mean, that's Southern hospitality. She didn't invite me, by the way. I just, I exaggerate a little bit. But I thought she was going to. 
uh, friendly, hospitable. Uh, people like they've known you their whole life and they're a stranger. You don't find that everywhere. That's a culture. Nothing wrong with it, nothing bad with it. Unless you're like an extreme introvert, you don't want anybody talking to you. But nothing wrong or, or right about it. It's just, just how people do things and, and how they go about their life, uh, which is common in the area. But sometimes there's aspects of culture that are ungodly. And the church at Pergamos was surrounded with the negative aspect of culture. In fact, we read in our text, it says that, that where Satan dwells, they will live where Satan dwells. How would you like that? Right? So in Pergamos, they had an elaborate right, um, temple to the god of Zeus, you know, Zeus like the, the chief of gods. They had one uh, of the god of healing, and I've tried to pronounce his name multiple times, and I'm going to butcher it, but I can tell you this. Dr. J, that's where we get our word scalpel from is his name. Uh, and in that temple, they would have the, the pole with the snake wrapped around for healing. And I will not pronounce his name because it, it's, it starts with A-E-S, scapulous, something. You look it up. Press the how to pronounce number of times, see if you can pronounce it. I will not try for you this morning. But then, Pergamus was known for emperor worship. They would worship Caesar, the emperor of Rome. And from that emerged all types of ungodliness and immorality. And a church lived among it, and some of them were, if you will, redeemed from it. And, and culture can have a great pressure upon the Lord's churches. So there's this tension between church and culture. Specifically, the ungodly culture, and, and 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 unfortunately, there's there's so many times where we begin to see more and more of the ungodly culture infiltrating the Lord's churches, and so we begin to see in the very beginning of this letter that a principle emerges, because how do we fight the ungodly culture? The Word of God. I want you to notice that Jesus is the author of the Word of God. And as author, remember, he's perfect. Our creator used a variety of men. Some were shepherds, farmers, some were doctors, some were fishermen, he let them write in their own style over a span of 1,500 years and without error or contradiction assembled for us the Bible. He is the author and he has given it to us that we can read and study and apply, and it should be the authoritative 
uh, uh, if you will, if there's any book that's authoritative, the Bible is to be the first and foremost on the list. It, it, it should be everything for our belief and practice. And that's important to know. And Jesus is its author. And as its author, I want you to notice that the word of God is powerful. Notice in verse 12, and to the angel or the pastor, the messenger of the church in Pergamum, write, the words of him who has the sharp two-edged sword. Now, who's the him? The words of him. If you go back to Revelation chapter 1, it's very clear that it's Jesus. And he who has a sharp two-edged sword, which is the word of God. I love when I watch uh, movies of, of, you know, medieval times or, you know, I, I like swords. I like, you know, the different types of swords. Uh, Adam even bought a sword. It's dull, but uh, it probably can do some damage to somebody. Um, but a two-edged sword, I mean, it's sharp on both sides. It's very powerful. It, it's meant to, uh, you know... Uh, go in deep, cause a very deep wound. Usually sometimes when we look at this words of him, it's kind of the idea of not just, if you will, uh, damage, but of judgment. But can I say that the word of God isn't just meant for information? I believe someone said this, but for our transformation. That the word of God's purpose is to dig deep into the soul of man to transform us. That's what the Hebrew writer wrote. Hebrews 4.12, for the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit and of joints and marrow and the discerning of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And so, you know, if, if you've been at, at Faith in LR at any length of time, you know, one of the, the things that, that we try to get you to do is to have quiet time with God to study His Word. Not just so we can play biblical trivia pursuit, not just because you can answer your Sunday school question, you know, uh, you know answer the Sunday school question answers. Uh, we want it to change your life. And I can tell you this, when, you know, over 10 years ago when I battled depression and I was in the depths of depression, you know, the very first thing that I let go in my life was the reading and steady and quiet time of the Word of God. And I, that needed to be pressed back into my life. And when I began to read again and how refreshing it was, God used that to bring me out of my depression. The darkest times. And I found like when counseling people, one of the very first thing I ask them when, they, when they're so stressed out, when they're so depressed, when they're so this, how's your quiet time with God? Because it impacts your life. But what also the Word of God does, it allows us to see and compare what's going on in the world. Is it right or is it wrong? Should we allow this to be in our life or should we not? Because you see, the Word of God transcends culture. It doesn't matter what time period. The Word of God is true during the times of the apostle just like it is today. And I would say that our culture is different than it is today. But we can look at it and there's things in our society, culturally, that people accept that is contrary to the Word of God. Well, how do we know? 
It's the Bible. Jesus said that heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words will not pass away. They are true then, and they're true today, and they'll be true tomorrow. And they're applicable in every situation. Now, times may change, and culture may change. Like, I'm pretty sure, remember the time when, like, it was appalling for women to wear pants in church? Do we find that in Scripture? Oh, but it was, it was, it was a battle, right? It was tough. It was tough. Chloe. Oh, my. You're a beautiful girl. Or how about when the preacher left his tie at home? <laughs> I'm pretty sure Jesus didn't wear a tie. Right? Or how about when music changes? You realize, and I know that many of you are Southern gospel lovers, right? But did you know that if you took Southern gospel to Lithuania and played that there, they would think you are the most ungodliest person that ever walked this earth? Because that's not their music. Is it wrong, right? No. There's just a different culture. So we have things, culture, but there are some things that exist today. Abortion. Homosexuality. There are things that, 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 that are plaguing churches worldwide. And how do we know what's right or what's wrong? It's the Word of God. Amen. And that must be in the forefront of church life and your personal life. Because you see, like Pergamos, the church resides in ungodly culture. I don't know about you. I'm an 80s kid. And I thought the 80s were awesome. But did you ever go back and listen to the music of the 80s? Oh, my. I didn't understand the words then. But when I get, on the, I get in my car and I, say, I get my son, I said, hey, listen to this song. And it has a great beat. And all of a sudden it starts singing. And all of a sudden I realize what they're saying. I turn it off. Oh, that's bad. I'd hate to tell them that was my favorite. Or how about the 80s movies? You're like, oh, man, 16 candles and this and that and what it started promoting. Oh, my goodness, I'm blushing in front of my kids. Oh, boy, times have changed, right? You remember when you never saw nudity on any platform on television? And now it's pervasive. It's everywhere. Can't escape it. We're plagued with an ungodly culture around us. And it almost seems as if it's getting pushed more and more and more upon God's people. So I would say that as Americans, we, I, I, if you want to take a general, our culture is more in line with ungodliness than godliness. Things have slipped from the creation of our country. Where God was honored to where you can't even pray in school. Culture has changed. And it's making an impact upon the Lord's churches. But I want you to notice about the church at Pergamos. Even though they had the pressures of an ungodly culture. Yet she held fast his name. Isn't that amazing? I know where you dwell. 
where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name. They were not afraid to say the name of Jesus. They were not afraid to echo the name of Jesus within the hallways and the streets of their community. They believed in Jesus Christ and him crucified, and they would hold it forth. They'd grasp it. They wouldn't depart from it. And Jesus commends this church. So of all the pressures of our culture today, let us never forget the name of Jesus. Let it be the banner of our life, for we are the light of the world, a city that cannot be hid. And if we don't want to hide, then the name of Jesus must go forth and must not be abandoned, even in an ungodly culture, even in a culture that so much would love us not to even say his name. But culture's not the boss of me. My Heavenly Father is. And so I'm going to say the name of Jesus proudly and loudly. And I'm not going to let it go. And I pray that you'll do the same. Even though the church resided in ungodly culture, she did not deny his faith. I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, yet you hold fast my name, and you did not deny my faith, even the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you, where Satan dwells. In other words, where pressure is coming in from the culture to try to cause us to compromise the word of God, to compromise the teachings of the word of God, we will not deny it. We will be true to it. We will be faithful to it. Are we doing it perfectly? No. There are some certain pressures that we have, but we should strive to, to align our lives with the Word of God. You see, we're to make an impact in culture. We're to change culture. Culture shouldn't change us. So deny not. He gives examples in the days of Antipas. We don't know a lot about Antipas. Many scholars believe that he was the pastor at Pergamos. Perhaps by the pressures of the society in which he lived, they tried to somehow get him to compromise, maybe to stop him preaching, whatever it is, but he was a faithful what? Witness. This word witness is from the Greek word where we get martyr from. He died for the faith. Would you be willing to? But that was a commendable act that Jesus had for the church at Pergamos. You're holding fast my name. You're not denying a faith. But you know what? There's some that that can't be said of. You see, a church can compromise with an ungodly culture. That's a, that's a sad, sad fact. But it's true. A church can compromise with an ungodly culture. They can compromise with idolatry. He says, but I have a few things against you. You have some, so it's not the totality, it's just some, 
there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols. Now, Paul said a lot of things about eating, you know, like if you know, someone's going to give you some food, just don't ask where it came from, where it might not violate your conscience, right? But obviously, there was something that was, that was being promoted and taught to somehow to, to get people to associate themselves to idolatry. Oh, it's okay. I know you're a Christian, but it's okay. You can come to the temple. I remember, remember Naaman who had leprosy, and he came to Elisha. Well, first he came to the king of the northern kingdom. And the northern kingdom was like, I can't heal you. I'm not God. Came to Elisha. Elisha told him to go dip seven times in the Jordan River. Of course, Naaman at first was appalled. I have cleaner rivers where I'm from in Damascus. But he was healed. And he came to Elisha. He wanted to give Elisha some clothing, some uh, money. Elisha said no. Elisha did the right thing. And so Naaman asked that he could take, you know, all this dirt from Israel. Because now he knows that there is a God and a prophet in Israel. And he was going to go back. It literally changed his life. And this is what he asked Elisha. Elisha, I'm going to serve God, but ask God to forgive me. Because when I serve my emperor, my king, I'm going to go into this temple. And I'm going to have to bow down. That's not what he wanted to do. That was his heart, but that was part of his duty, his responsibility. And so he had this tension between culture and, and serving God, you know, associating with idolatry. You know, today we think about idolatry. We don't think, we, we think of it as, you know, worshiping, you know, uh, other things, people, items. But here's what I think, I, fa- I think we face in the American culture today is that we've made self an idol. That we'll put self above God, right? And so as doing that then, we are pressured to do things selfishly and we associate things that, well, you know what? I, I know what the Word of God says, but this is how I feel, think, and therefore I will do. Now, I'm going I'm to share something with you. But I hope that you receive it in the spirit that it's meant because it's, it's, it's very personal to me and, it, and it's, it's controversial, okay? And, um, but you know, today we have, our country has legalized same-sex marriage. I believe that is contrary to the word of God. Therefore, I will never perform a same-sex wedding. I won't do it. If I do, fire me. Serious. But then the next question is, would you attend a same-sex wedding? And I say no. And here's why. One, if God forbids the marriage by your attendance there, you're saying it's okay. It's a time of celebration and you're endorsing the wedding. Now, there's some people that are Christians that say contrary-wise, and Jenny and I had to make this very decision within our family ourselves, and we said no because we want to honor God above all. 
But that's what our culture, they want you associated with the sinfulness of the world. At some time, you just got to draw a line because it's never enough. It sucks you in further and further and further. Where do you draw the line? And the Word of God is our guide. So we have to be very, very careful. Do not compromise or associate with things that are just contrary to the Word of God. Well, I don't know how that happened. There were supposed to be two others. Well, let me go with them real quick. Not only do you compromise with idolatry, I don't know what happened. Um, we're not to compromise what's next is, is, the, is sexual immorality. Right? Now, here's a tough one. You know it's more common today for a man and a woman to live together and have sexual intercourse and still waiting for the marriage. You know what the Bible says? Get married first and have fun later. Right? That's what it says. Commitment. Commitment. But it's becoming commonplace. It's like, let's try things out to see if it works first. More often than not, it doesn't work out. It's dangerous. And it's not necessarily God-honoring. Now you say, oh, Brother Todd, you're old-fashioned. No. I'm biblical. Amen. I want to, uh, the things that I teach, I want to align to the Word of God. God has put the sexual act between man and woman in the covenant of marriage. Yeah. And that's where it belongs. Anything outside of that is wrong. And yet we see adultery, homosexuality, pornography, and a litany of other things that are drawing Christians away. It's dangerous. But not only do we compromise with idolatry or compromise with sexual immorality, the verse that's not on here, we need to be careful about compromising with incorrect teaching. The teaching of the Nicolaitans, the teaching of Balaam, right? Incorrect teaching. Look, I don't want you to take my word for it. I want you to take God's word for it. Take what I'm telling you, go search it out yourself within God's word because it is true. But yet, think about today with YouTube and internet and websites. You can find any preacher under the sun that teaches things that are contrary to the Word of God. Right? I mean, there's, there's some that don't even use the Word of God. <laughs> but they'll tell you how you can be a better you with a smile on their face. Oh, you guys didn't get that? Okay, if you're from Texas, Houston area, you'll get that. Just let it roll with you for a little bit. So, 
you have to be careful. Now, if you went and looked at my sermons from the past, you know, I cringe sometimes when I look at my sermon outlines. Lynn, have you looked at your last sermon? You're like, I said that? Now, my intention is never to preach something false, but I might have a misunderstood. I might not have had enough knowledge. That's the pressure of preaching right there, is being prepared enough to preach the Word of God. But, man, there's some out there that preach things that are so blatantly wrong. You have to be careful. Don't compromise with it. You know, Timothy, being a young pastor and Paul, his mentor, even, you know, Paul warns Timothy, you know, he tells him, you know, preach the word, be instant in season, out of season, because, you know, people... Are going to begin to collect to themselves, they have itching ears, collect to themselves teachers. You know, they're going to find, oh, I like what this person says. Oh, I like what this person says, it fits my lifestyle. Oh, I like what this person says, fits my lifestyle. Look, I can preach what you want to hear, but I wouldn't be honoring God. I need to be preaching what God wants you to hear and then transform your life to it. And don't change the word of God to fit your lifestyle. Don't start, you know, rocking out verses, ripping out pages. Say, oh, finally. You know, a place I can go worship or, a, you know, a Bible that I can have in my hands that just, you know, really, you know, fits my lifestyle. No, our lifestyle is to fit the Bible and to change. And so maybe you're in that struggle. Maybe you're in that, that, that dilemma where you have compromised or you're thinking about compromising, then Jesus gives us the solution, repent. Repentance is the required response. And let me say this about repentance. Repentance is having a heart for God. He says, therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. Repentance. Why do I say it's having a heart for God? I want to use David from the Bible, for example. You know, David is the, the standard for all the kings. If you read through 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, 1st and 2nd Chronicles, David's the standard. But you know, David messed up big time, didn't he? Right? Committed sexual immorality with Bathsheba. Had her husband killed. But yet he's known as a man after God's own heart. Why? I just tell you to go read Psalm 51. Because when he was confronted with his sin, he was crushed under the weight of the conviction to where he wrote things, Lord, create in me a new heart. Lord, restore my joy. Wash me as white as snow. It's a powerful psalm. And repentance shows that you have a heart, a desire to honor God in your life. And repentance just means turn around. Change from that ungodly pursuit and influence and turn around and pursue God and his influence in your life. Repent. If not, notice, he says, I'll come to you soon, quickly. I don't know when Jesus is coming back. 
but it's sooner today than it was yesterday. I do not know the time nor the hour, but when he comes, he's coming to judge. And how will he find us? Prayerfully, with a humble, repentant, worshipful heart. A heart for God. I don't know if this is a word or not. Walter tried to get me to change it, but I didn't. Unrepentance is having a heart for the world. How many times, and it breaks my heart when I see people, when they're confronted with their sin, say, I don't care what God had said, I'm going to do what I want to do. And the Bible is very clear in James, you cannot be a friend of God and the world at the same time. You can't, Jesus said you can't serve two masters. For you'll love the one and hate the other. So where does your allegiance lie? Where's your loyalty? If you're failing to unrepent, that really declares where your heart is. It's not for God. It's for the world. And that breaks my heart. When someone, I'll tell you what, what really burdens me is when you start seeing young people today grow up in church and faithful in all the programs. They go off to college and they start believing the things of their instructors without ever comparing it to the Word of God. And all of a sudden, they deconstruct their faith. That's a, a term today. And they abandon the truth that their parents poured into them and what God has turned into them. And they just, they just run away when you try to share with them and lovingly and compassionately. This is what God, you're going the wrong direction. This is what God wants for your life. And they said, I don't care. I'm going to do what I want to do. That's, that's idolatry right there. I'm not going to change. And all I can say is we better be a people to pray for our young people. Even if one's struggling with their faith and wants to deconstruct, that we get on our knees and pray that they don't abandon what they had learned. And if they do, I'm glad that we have a God of second chances, aren't you? Because it's never too late. while they walk this earth to change their heart and their mind. And here's the thing. When you overcome, you're blessed. You're blessed. Notice what Jesus says. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, blessed with spiritual sustenance. Remember the manna in the wilderness when the nation of Israel was in the wilderness wanderings for 40 years? God sustained them with this honey, wheat, heavenly uh, uh, you know, art, particle of, 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 of material that they made cakes of, and it was sweet, and, and, and they even got tired of God's sustenance. Can you believe it? And, and But they would take it, and he sustained them for 40 years. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. And he is the true bread that's from heaven that is fulfilling and sustaining. So I thought about this, that, that we, those that overcome and are victorious, I, I don't think 
just in heaven will we be, if you will, fed of this, of, of some spiritual sustenance. But I think about, I need Jesus every day in my life. There's a sense that when I overcome and victorious, that God will sustain me. When I hit difficult times, God will sustain me. But not only will he bless us with spiritual sustenance, we're blessed with a special invitation. Notice that he will give him a white stone. He said, how can that be an invitation? It's just a white stone. Well, in the time of the apostle John, white stones were used for a variety of things. One, uh, it was used for uh, voting. White stones were used for voting in favor of something. But white stones were also used for invitations to banquets, to meals. And so can you believe those that overcome, you have a special invitation by Jesus to a very special banquet. I start reading the book of Revelation. You know what special banquet is in heaven? The marriage lamb, marriage of the lamb. And there's a supper. Wouldn't you like to be invited to that thing? Man, it's going to be amazing. It's going to outdo any... Uh, any uh, weddings here on this earth, you know, the whole shows you watch, you say yes to the dress, uh, I don't know, uh, honeymoon destinations, they show the build up to the weddings, that's not, uh uh-uh. there's a wedding in heaven that's going to be amazing, and can you imagine receiving an invitation to that? But not only that, but you're going to be blessed with a special name, look, with not only a white stone, but with a name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, a lot of scholars are kind of mystified about this, whether it's the name of Jesus that only the believer will know or if it's actually the believer's name. I don't know. I keep having the hymn in my name. Uh, I have a new name written in heaven. I, am I going through my mind, my mind, my mind? Whatever it is, it's a new name that we will understand personally. It's personal to us that only we will know. That's pretty amazing, right? So, you're going to be blessed. There's going to be a heavenly reward for those that are victorious. We need to become overcomers. Life is going to throw us some curveballs. We're going to be tempted. We're going to be tried. We're going to be... uh, be compelled to compromise with the world standards. Can I just say this? Whatever you do, cling tight to the Word of God, to its teachings. It will guide your path. It will light your way. It will never, ever lead you astray. Trust it, read it, study it, apply it. Because I'm pretty sure there's no one in heaven today that regrets the impact the Word of God has had in their life. And may it have an impact upon yours. So this morning as we stand together, we're going to have a time of invitation. And maybe you are struggling yourself or you know of someone that you've been working with that is struggling that the worldly standards is impacting their life 
pulling them away. Maybe you just want to come and kneel here at the stage and just pray, God, help them. Jenny and I, we've been praying for our eldest son. We haven't spoken to him now, not by our choice, but his for a little over two years. And I'm praying that someone will enter his life and impart to him the word of God. I'm praying. I hope you'll pray with me. I pray that he overcomes and he can conquer. And when he does, I'm going to rejoice like no one else. Bad knees and all, I may run up and down the aisles of the church when I find out. I don't know. But you know, the Bible says that when one person repents, even the angel rejoices. Maybe you have a struggle in your life you need to conquer. Maybe you just need to make a commitment to have a daily time with God in reading your Bible. Would you make that commitment today? If you want some help, maybe of a Bible plan, do you know that we have them on our website? and our church center app. We want to make it easy for you. If you want some guidance and help along the way, I know that any one of our pastors would love to walk with you and help you in your walk with Christ. Just let us know. And maybe you being here at church this morning, you're not here by accident, God brought you here. But maybe you've not called on the name of Jesus to save you. Man, I would love to meet with you here, right here, right now. And pray with you. And show you in Scripture just how much God loves you. Would you come? Maybe God brought you here and you've been visiting for some time and God's moving on your heart to become a member here. We would love to know. We're having an exploring church membership class coming up. Love for you to be a part. Love to share with you how you can become a member. Pray that it's made known. Let me lead us in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us. We thank you for your word. We thank you for the guidance and the instruction and the wisdom and the knowledge that we can gain from the Bible. But Father, we pray that it will transform our hearts and life. That Father, that you'll move within us and help us to conform our life to yours that you will receive all the honor and the glory. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.